As we look to Paul's letter to the Galatians, uh, it might feel a little differently than it has if you've been with us the last week or a few weeks as we've been doing a series in the Psalms. Uh, a letter is a very different kind of book, a very different genre for us to face, and so there are going to be some differences in how we approach it. Uh, and there's many different genres in Scripture. In the New Testament, many of the books are letters. Some of them are narratives. Uh, some of the kids in the room, maybe K through 5th, maybe you have a, a children's study Bible or something like that. I had one of those as a kid, and uh, I'm sure I read parts of it, but I just flipped through it and looked at all the pictures. I always like to look at the pictures, look at the diagram of the temple and all those things. If, you, if you're flipping through your Bible, you might see that in the beginning of the New Testament, there's the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, the longer title for those Gospels, those stories about Jesus, is the Gospel according to Matthew, or the Gospel according to Mark, and so on. And the reason for this is because although these are, these are stories, these are historical accountings of the life of of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, they are according to their writer. You know, in our church, we, we like to say at the end of our scripture readings often, this is the word of the Lord, because it is. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, they were, they're all writing words of the Lord under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but those words are also their words. And so when we say the gospel according to Matthew, we're saying that this is according to how Matthew wrote it. Now this morning, as we look at Paul's letter to the Galatians, you might be thinking that we're about to get the gospel according to Paul. But we're going to see this morning that the primary argument Paul is making in the verses we read is that it is not the gospel according to Paul that matters at all. It is the gospel according to God. It is the gospel, the one true gospel that is from God. And so we see that Paul is the writer of this letter. If you look at the very beginning of the letters in the New Testament, most of them are written according to some very ancient practices of letter writing. And we see from the beginning who is sending the letter. We see that it is Paul, an apostle. And he's writing it with all the brothers who are with him. Now, Paul really likes to call himself an apostle, I guess. He, he wrote 12 letters in our New Testament, and I think eight of them have him identifying himself as an apostle. But here he adds a little bit more information. It seems that perhaps in the church that he's, churches he's writing to, there were people questioning Paul's apostleship, claiming that maybe he just you know, picked up on some stuff from some other people, or maybe he was just an apostle, calling himself an apostle for his own benefits. But that's not the case. Now, part of the reason they did this is because apostle wasn't a common title in the New Testament church. You know, you look at the Bible and you see there's pastors, there's elders, and there's deacons. And those are common. You're, you're, Paul tells us to, to raise up elders and, and deacons in our congregations. But you don't get that with apostle. It's kind of a special word. You can think back to those Gospels uh, in the beginning of our New Testament and see how Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John identify Jesus' closest followers. Jesus had 12 close followers who he called disciples, meaning student or follower. 
and, and he identified them as such, and, and they're kind of referred to as the 12. Well, when Jesus was raised from the dead, he returned and he taught them for 40 days, and then he ascended to heaven, to the right hand of the Father, where he rules and reigns until he returns again. And at that time, those 12 disciples took on a new role, one that was unique to them, that wasn't shared by many others, and that was the role of apostle. Apostle literally just means sent one, someone who is sent. And so apostles are people who are sent for a particular mission, for a particular ministry, with a particular message. And so Paul is called an apostle because he has a particular message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he has a particular mission to go and minister and serve the Gentiles, those who are not Jewish, the uncircumcised. And so we see just in these, this one verse, we already have a clear picture of who Paul is. And again, he adds some more detail. He says that he is an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. Now, this is unusual. Paul usually doesn't go into a great description of his apostleship. But here he does, assuming perhaps that there were some accusations that Paul wasn't a true apostle, that Paul's apostleship was merely a title he gave himself or that some other people gave him. He wasn't like the 12. He wasn't an eyewitness. He didn't follow Jesus before his death. But here he makes clear that his ministry is not a product just simply of his own desires. It's not a product of his own ambition or or vanity. It's a product of God making him a minister of the gospel, of God making him an apostle. He is an apostle not from man, but from God, through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. And perhaps maybe to add a little bit more credibility, he adds some other senders as well. He says, and all the brothers who are with me. It's not just Paul going rogue here. This isn't the gospel according to Paul as he has devised it and as he has written it. It is the gospel according to God. Yes, Paul has preached it, but there are many brothers with him. So this is something that's at stake here in this letter. Now, who does he send it to? He says, to the churches of Galatia. Now, Galatia was a region in, the, in Asia Minor, and it was a part of the, the Roman world. And it was actually, it wasn't just a city, it wasn't just a town or a village, it was a whole area. And so Paul's not writing this letter to one church. He's writing it to many churches, which, which actually means that they took time to copy down this letter for multiple churches, now, that's going to be important if you take the time to read this letter, and I encourage you to do so. It is short. It's six chapters, and they're all fairly short chapters, and you could read this easily uh, just this afternoon at some point. I'd encourage you as, in f- as few sittings as possible to read it. If you can read it in one, that's great. If two or three, that's, that's fine. But the reason is you want to take it all in as the original hearers would have heard it. But what's interesting is when you read it, you're going to think that Paul is saying things that he didn't think out very well. He's going to say some things that are harsh, and you might think there's no way he would have said that if he got a second, third, or fourth draft. But he actually kind of did. 
He not only wrote this letter, but they copied it and sent it to multiple churches. Paul knew very well what he was saying. And the reason it was so harsh was because the very core of the gospel was at stake. Who is a believer? Who is in Christ's church? Now, following this, normally in a letter you'll just get a simple greetings, but Paul says here, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And he expounds on this like he doesn't elsewhere. And in these verses, I think we see the very, the very seeds of the gospel which Paul has been sent to preach. This is the message for which he is a minister. He says, the Lord Jesus Christ, in verse 4, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age who gave himself for our sins. See, the gospel that Paul is preaching is from God. On the one hand, because God made it happen. It's Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, who gave himself for our sins. He went to the cross willingly. He wasn't forced into it as someone who was actually guilty. He was innocent of all charges. Yet he went to the cross as a guilty man and died for our sins, taking on himself the punishment that we ourselves deserved. And it was to deliver us from this present evil age. Now, I know sometimes we can sit back and say, oh, I really identify with the present evil age. Oh, the stuff on the news. You know, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, Molly and I were seeing on Facebook a, a, a lot of, and hearing from friends, because in Oklahoma, of all places, there was a, a shooting at a school on a, on a Friday evening at a football game. So there was, there was an incident about that. You know, anywhere you look, you could say there's evil. But Paul isn't specifically just referring to the time they were living in. He's referring to the present evil age, which has ruled all the way back to the fall of man. When human beings sinned and brought sin into this world, and with sin they brought death into the world. That's the evil age he's talking about. Not the last 20 years, not the last 2,000 years, but all the way back to the first people. And so what Paul is wrestling with when he's trying to come to understand the gospel is something maybe you wrestle with. Because we can sometimes say, okay, well, if Jesus hanged on the cross and said, it is finished, then why does it seem like it has barely begun at all? I mean, the world isn't really better, it feels like, than it was when Jesus was here or when Jesus left. So what's the deal? You know, like the Jewish people at the time, maybe perhaps we feel that when the Messiah, the Christ, came, he was supposed to just flatten everything down and build his kingdom on top. He was there to topple kingdoms and destroy empires and establish his kingdom. Well, if that's what you believe, then you're going to be quite confused right now because 2,000 years have gone by since Jesus walked the earth, and we still feel this tension there's still evil in this world. There's still death. There's still sin. Paul sees the gospel of Jesus, the message about Jesus, 
as one in which God's kingdom has come already, but it is not yet fully here. There is an age that we exist in where the present evil age continues, but God is plucking people out to be in his kingdom. And we exist kind of as dual citizens, both in God's kingdom and still living in this evil world. And so, Jesus came, yes, to deliver us from the present evil age, the age where sin ruled and the law, even the law of Moses, the law given by God, is a part of that evil age in which it was given for transgressions, as we see in Galatians chapter 3. Now, all this was done, it says in verse 4, according to the will of our God and Father. Lest we think for a moment that God had, had to, his, his hands kind of got tied once we sinned and he had to do something different. It's according to the will of God that Jesus came and did what he did. So that means that the gospel message is not just the message about God. It is the message that was planned by God. It was, it was put into effect by Jesus Christ, and it is being perfected now by the Holy Spirit. And we await the day where, as we do now, we can say, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. God makes ministers for his message, and that is the message of the gospel, the good news that Jesus has come he died for our sins. He was raised from the dead, and he has delivered us from the present evil age. And we are just awaiting the day when he returns and fully establishes his kingdom, living in this tension right now, already saved, but not yet. Now we look in detail, and we see in verses 6 through 10, that this gospel message that Paul is preaching is from God. Now, normally at this point in a, a good letter like this, Paul would have been, had a long section of thanksgiving or prayer, just doting on the church and telling them how much he cares for them and how he's been praying for them. Instead, he begins like this. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. He is astonished that they are so quickly deserting the one who called them. And by the context, it, it seems very clear that this is God who has called them. We see that throughout the New Testament. God calls his people. And so it's God who has called them, but they are deserting him by turning to a different gospel. And he clarifies, not that there is another one, but there, who, there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. What's going on here? See, Paul, he actually had a good relationship with this church. In fact, he went to Galatia, he preached the gospel, he saw people repent and believe and trust in Jesus and began churches by those people. And he stayed with them long enough, it seems, that he actually was able to raise up some teachers. And then he left. And very quickly after he leaves, some false teachers have come in and started teaching some different things. And so Paul is concerned that already so quickly they have turned, they have deserted the one who called them. He clarifies, 
that in turning to a different gospel, there isn't actually another one. So we see that, you know, the, the word gospel, you know, it's an old English word. It just means good news. But at the time that Paul was writing, it was a common word for different things. It, it might be that a, a soldier would return from the battlefield with good news, gospel, euangelion, that they won the battle. It, it might be that someone is bringing a message, good news about the emperor, Caesar, here we have the good news of Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying you are turning to a different message, a different gospel. And he clarifies, there is not another one, but there are some who are coming to trouble you, to distort the gospel. Maybe this looks like taking away parts of the gospel or adding to it. I think we'll get that clarified as we continue to study Galatians, and if you read it on your own, I think you'll get some clarification. There's an issue at stake, and it's not, it's not the color of the carpet or, or which kind of donuts we get or what donut shop we get them from. This is real stuff at stake. This is the very thing that this group of people are coming together for, the gospel Jesus Christ, their sins forgiven, their relationship with God restored, their humanity being redeemed, and yet, so quickly, they're deserting the one who called them. And in turning to a different gospel, they are deserting the one true God. You might not think they are. Well, maybe they can still worship the true God, even though they kind of believe this other message. Paul is making clear that this gospel isn't some optional thing. It's not some, you know, pick your, it's not like a buffet where you can go pick your different parts that you put on your plate. No, that is not what's happening here. To reject this message is to reject the one true living God. So in turning to a different gospel, they aren't just rejecting a message or a messenger. They are rejecting Jesus Christ himself. He goes on to say, and this verse I think is, in my opinion, one of the most radical verses in our text this morning. In verse 8, But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Let him be cursed. Let him be anathema. It's, it's more than saying, let's remove him from the church. It's saying, let him be damned. Let him experience the judgment of God. Now, that's not the only part that makes this verse crazy. What makes it so wild to me is that he says, even if we come to you and preach a different gospel, let us be accursed. Now, I want you to imagine for just a moment, if you are a Christian this morning, at some point in your life, you, you turn away from sin and turn toward Jesus in faith. I want you to just imagine that one or two people that were most influential on your coming to faith. You can probably, for most of us, imagine one person who, who it seems, not everyone, but most of us can imagine one or two people maybe who were really influential. They really taught us well. They really told us the gospel. They, they encouraged us to respond to it. 
For some of you, it may have been a preacher at a vacation Bible school or a preacher at a summer camp. It may have been your mother. Mothers play a huge role in their children coming to faith. It may have been your father. They also play a large role in their children coming to faith. Maybe it was a friend or a neighbor. Maybe it was someone in this church. Now imagine that person. Imagine that you, new believer, maybe some of you go back to the 70s, and you shake your long hair, and you, that was for the men. And you can imagine this moment in which you came to faith, right? And six months go by. You're a new believer. You're taking your Bible to First Baptist Alcoa or whatever church it might be. And you're learning and you're growing and you're struggling. I mean, sin's, sin's tearing you down because, I mean, you've only been a believer for six months. You don't know what you're doing yet. You really don't understand. They're saying stuff. They're saying words in the sermons you don't understand. You know, you didn't grow up in the church, so you're like, circumcision, what is that? And, and then one day, six months, a year goes by, and the person who led you to Christ comes back and says, you know what? I need to clarify some things. You know when I said that the gospel was that you are saved by the grace of Christ in the free gift of Jesus Christ, that he came and lived a perfect life, you know, one that you couldn't live on your own, that, that he went to the cross and died for your sin so that you didn't have to take the punishment for your sin. He was raised from the dead, defeating sin and death. You know when I told you all that? And I said, all you have to do is turn to Christ in faith. Yeah, so there's actually some other things you have to do. Um, so, I, you know, I've learned there's these five books in the Old Testament, the Law of Moses. Yeah, we're going to have to start following that. Uh, there's some extra things you need to do in order to be right with God, in order to be in his church. Now, I don't know about you, but six months into being a believer, I might be inclined to listen to that person. I might say, oh, okay, yeah, you, you got some things wrong, Okay. Paul says, if we come back and do something like that, let us be accursed. Not only that, he says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. An angel from heaven. You know, Mary, the mother of Jesus, was visited by an angel, and he told her what was going to happen. An angel visited Joseph and told that what an experience that would be. I mean, probably, I'd be terrified, to be honest with you. I'm not sure that I would enjoy that very much at all. But I would listen to that person. Jesus, or sorry, Paul here says that if an angel from heaven comes to you and preaches a different gospel than the one I preach to you, let him be accursed. Why does he say all this? Because the gospel does not depend on the messenger the gospel depends on the God who made it possible in the first place, who made it happen, who planned it, who preached it. You know how they have that phrase, don't shoot the messenger? Paul is here saying, this is a time you shoot the messenger. I mean, seriously, worse than shoot them, curse them, let them be accursed. Because if they're going to come with some other nonsense up in here, don't listen to it. And he makes this very clear in verse 9. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Paul is so 
utterly confident that the gospel he preached in Galatia is not a distortion. It is not a perversion. It is not false. It is a gospel that is from God. He is so convinced of that that he says it doesn't matter what you hear or who you hear it from. If it's different than this, let him be accursed. Now, why? Where does he go from here? Look at verse 10. After all that, he says this, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? I mean, it's pretty clear after that paragraph, he's not seeking the the approval of men. The, The false teachers in Galatia were probably in the room when this letter was being written, at least one of the churches. So when he says, am I trying to please man? You bet everyone in that room said, nope, we don't think he's trying to please us anymore. You know, the mess, they, they came in and they were, they were claiming that Paul was a people pleaser. He was coming in and watering down the truth of the gospel so that it was so easy to digest that all these Gentiles could come in unrestricted. And that's a danger. It's a danger to preach a gospel that says that God doesn't demand anything of you. But that's not the issue here. It's that they were saying, even to be a part of our church, even to be right with God, you have a laundry list to start looking at. They were saying Paul was a people pleaser. He just wanted to make Gentiles happy. He just wanted them all to be following him. He says, no, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? He says this, if I were trying, or if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. There was a day when Paul was trying to please men. And we'll learn plenty about that in this letter. Paul was a faithful Jew. He was observant of the law. He was zealous. He was persecuting the church of God. He was persecuting Christians in the name of the one true living God. There was a time when he was trying to please men. He was going up the ranks. His resume, his experiences, what he was doing, he was thriving as a Pharisaical do. And if he wanted to please men, he would have stayed exactly where he was. And for many of us, that's the case too. If we want to please men, we can stay exactly where we were, exactly where we are. But if we're going to be a servant of Christ, we may may have to be okay with not pleasing people. And so Paul is clearly okay with not pleasing people. Now, it's not just that the gospel message is from God. Paul's gospel ministry is from God, too. He wants to make that very clear. He tells a little bit of his story to do that in verses 11 through 17. He makes clear that the Gospel that was preached by him is not man's gospel. He says, For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. This is, that was the day and age when Paul was a people pleaser, but not anymore. He says in verse 15, 
But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, I was, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Paul's contention here is that he, his life was radically changed, radically changed. He was called by God for a mission to the Gentiles. Again, Pharisaical Jew, law-observing Jews, zealous for the law, zealous for persecuting the Christian church. And ironically, this man is going to be the poster boy for Christians among the Gentiles. It's a radical change. And he makes very clear, I did not receive this message from man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ revealed himself to me, is what Paul is saying. And maybe you know the story. Paul, on his way to Damascus to persecute the church, struck down by God in Jesus Christ. Jesus appearing to him, asking him, why are you persecuting my church? Why are you persecuting me? And so Paul's life radically changes from that moment. But he doesn't, he says, immediately go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before him. Instead, he says he goes to Arabia and then returns again to Damascus. So if they're claiming, you know, Paul's just getting his message from other people. He's like, I didn't even go to Jerusalem to the original apostles and get my message from them. He's like, I, I went and did my own thing. I went to Arabia, studied, got my head clear. That's what many people think he was doing, that he was searching out the scriptures and, and, and getting close to God. And then he goes to Damascus, presumably, to start preaching the gospel in the very place where he went to destroy it. The gospel ministry is from God. Our service to God is from God. He is calling us. It's so dangerous. Uh, sometimes it's dangerous to use that language of calling. Calling can seem to justify any amount of foolishness. You know, I've, I know a lot of people who were very clear that they were called by God. And, and just about no one else in the room agreed with them. But they were very clear that they were called by God. You know, gospel ministry isn't determined by having a, a church website that says you're a pastor or an elder. It's not determined by the fact that you preach sermons to really big crowds. Gospel ministry is determined by the fact that you are truly set apart by God. Paul is using actually the language here in verse 15 of a couple of the, of, of the prophet Jeremiah Jeremiah 1, he says that, you know, God set him apart. He formed him in the womb. He set him apart for the, the ministry of a prophet. He also uses the language Isaiah uses when he's referring to the suffering servant, who we later identify as the Messiah, Jesus Christ. There, there he is saying that, that he is formed in the womb by God, that he was set apart before he was born. Paul is using this language to clearly put himself in the line of not just any prophet, not of false prophets, not of just making a claim to be a prophet, but of genuine prophets whose prophecies have come to pass and they have been proven in the right. He was called by his grace. He was pleased to reveal his son to me, he says. 
that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Paul's ministry was to go to those who had previously not known God, who were far from God, who didn't even know the law of God, and go to them and tell them that they can come to God, not through the law, not through circumcision, not through any of those things, but they can come to God through Jesus Christ. And if you think that's not relevant for you, think back to your heritage. How many of you are 100% Jews? Yeah, I didn't think so. The only reason you are here this morning is because God sent Jesus Christ. And it's probably true in some sense, had God not set apart Paul and given him this ministry, you wouldn't be here today either. The reason that Christianity was able to blow up and and conquer the known world, not in terms of violence, not in terms of war, but in terms of seeing people become followers of Jesus, was because God called Paul and sent him to the Gentiles. And without that, it would be very probable that most of us wouldn't be in this room today. So lest you think that a debate about whether Gentiles can be followers of the one true living God isn't something you're interested in, you have skin in the game quite literally. Every one of us does. And we must remember that we too are liable to distorting the gospel, to perverting the gospel, to making it something that does not resemble the one true gospel that is from God. And we are liable to do that in how we take away from the truth of Scripture. Maybe even in in our evangelism, kind of saying, you know, well, you know, it wasn't super important that Jesus was born of a virgin. You know, it wasn't just super important that he was bodily raised from the dead. Maybe he's just like kind of spiritually raised and we were awakened, you know. No, 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 no. It can can be a distortion by what we add to it. Well, yeah, you're saved by grace, but, you know, then, you know, you've got to dressed a certain way. You know, when you go to church, you got to wear your absolute best. You got to you got to stop immediately. You got to stop dipping. You got to stop drinking any of that stuff. You got to stop playing cards. You know, we don't like cards. You got to stop dancing. You don't go dancing. That's that's just that's just going to entice you. You got to stay away from that stuff. Hey, I'm not saying that some of those things might not be uh, the worst thing or the how do I phrase that? The worst thing to stay away from. And if that wasn't how I phrased it, y'all can read into what I meant. But it's just simply that to say that that is a qualification for being in the church of God, let him be accursed. Paul makes this gospel message very clear. What is it? Grace to you. God's grace given to you that results in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.